0: Well, hello from Maui, Hawaii. It's Michael Benner with the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on Easter Sunday, 2009. Today is the 12th of April, and um, happy to be with you. And uh, actually, I'm still pretty stoked. We had a uh, experience on the Big Island yesterday. A friend of mine uh, had. Has been swimming with wild dolphins and whales for a long time, and he knows a lot of the people with the boats and the expertise swimming with dolphins. And uh, took us over there and and dropped us into a pod of uh, spinner dolphins on uh, well three different occasions. Actually, we were in a Zodiac, and we just put on flippers and a mask and a snorkel and. Uh, We we get in amongst them and just slide over the edge and swim with the dolphins and my God I got to tell you it was a spectacular um, experience Uh, I won't go on about it I'm anxious to get to the class today uh, and our topic today but I got to tell you if you ever get a chance to do this um, there's not too many places that allow it if you if you if you go swimming off uh, Honolulu and Oahu, uh, you have to wear a, a life jacket. If uh, I don't think it's even permitted in Kauai or Maui, but uh, off Kona, there are still some operators that are conscientious and uh, respectful of the dolphins and the whales, and, and uh, they love the dolphins. The first thing they tell you is don't touch them. Don't reach out to touch them, and it's a good thing to tell you because that's the first thing you want to do. But unlike the dolphins that you may encounter at SeaWorld or uh, some hotels will have dolphin pools, those dolphins are all hyped up on antibiotics. They have to be. And uh, wild dolphins, of course, are not. And they have no immunity to many human illnesses. So we were told not to not to try to even touch them. But they come right up to you. They they <laughs> they get pretty close, and uh, I, I I can't really find the words to express the experience. of uh, It's as if you could run 40 miles an hour and you're running with wild antelope, you know, or or deer or something like that. Um, to be able to swim with these dolphins. And, it was pretty cool. I've been here in Hawaii now a year and a half, visited here countless times before I moved here, and never had that experience before. So it's very exciting. Very exciting. We've been working a lot with people that are trying to raise consciousness about the environmental threat to whales and dolphins, and they're just such intelligent creatures. And, uh,. It's easy to believe they may be more intelligent than human beings. Anyway, that was my excitement for the week, and I appreciate you being here on Easter Sunday. Uh, it reminds me, we did a program last year at Easter Sunday, and so that means we've been doing this webinar on the web for a little over a year. I think the Easter last year was probably the third or the fourth program we did, so I know we've we're just past the one year mark now and uh, I'm enjoying myself and I didn't even think about not doing a show on Easter this year maybe I should have but I'm just so focused and single minded I just set it up and didn't even think twice I, I knew in the back of my head it was Easter but you know why cancel class it's on the web and the replays are available so we'll keep cranking them out here Today's topic is life is what you make it. It's part of a theme that I discuss on and off for many years about turning your life around. And that can mean a lot of things to turn your life around. Today we're going to talk about turning your life around in a very specific way. And that is from target or victim to the one who initiates, um, proactively uh, their life and this is a very very important and I would even say profound concept and yet it's not discussed very often in um, casual conversation uh, in the workplace academically I could count on one hand with fingers left over the number of times that I've heard people talking about this subject, about how to have more control in your life to be um, better able to even influence other people and persuade other people of the rightness of your ideas in this case or in that case, uh, just by reversing, doing a 180 degree flip of this belief system that life is coming at us and so our theme for the day is that old saw, life is what you make it everybody says it, life is what you make it my argument is not very many people believe it and even fewer actually live it and yet there is extraordinary power in taking ownership and responsibility for life being exactly what you make it. I think A good place to begin is uh, uh, an idea that I've been dwelling on for some time now that is of concern to me and it bothers me that in the last uh, eight or ten years, the right wing in America, the the political right, has made every effort to co-op among many other terms, the idea of personal responsibility as if it were a conservative issue or a conservative ethic to accept responsibility. In the same way, self-reliance has been portrayed as part of personal responsibility and supposedly a conservative ethic. Well, I'm glad that people who see themselves as politically conservative I'm very glad that they're interested in being personally responsible and accountable. It's odd we didn't see a whole lot of that in the Bush-Cheney administration, Uh, probably less accountability even today for war crimes and torture and lies. Um, And yet, somehow, the media has allowed the right wing to portray itself as the party of these values personal responsibility and self-reliance. Here's my issue. My problem with this is that when the political right makes an issue out of personal responsibility, they tend to argue that it is the antithesis of community service, that personal responsibility or even self-reliance, is exclusive and even the opposite of caring about your neighbor and providing community service, as if there is no self-interest in helping other people. Well, you know that's binary thinking. It's just foolish, either-or, black and white. Uh, It's a form of stupidity or a form of ignorance that comes up as false dichotomies it's it's sometimes called binary thinking um, it's bifurcation turning all of life into a true and false exam where there is no middle there is no third option where there are no variations or permutations and we see this a lot from the right wing we see it also in the extremes of the left but not so much as on the right where the idea of separating everything into this or that, one or the other. And you've probably heard me go on about this. It's been a pet peeve of mine for the decades that I've been in radio, 35, 40 years. This has been one of my primary themes, and it still drives me crazy because I see otherwise intelligent women and men uh, talking and living their lives as if all differences were opposites, think about it, as if all differences were opposites. Uh, reduce, a, even you know, even in school, a multiple choice exam usually gives you three or four options, right? Or three choices and none of the above, or three choices and all of the above. Usually you have four choices and a multiple choice. And the true or false is either or, and it's always maddening because Invariably, you see a relative truth in both positions. Well, this is sort of true, and that's sort of true, and now I get to decide which is more true, right? Demonstrating the weakness of false dichotomies and and binary thinking. But it is a well-studied and proven way to control and influence people. If you're interested in manipulating in the most negative way other people, and controlling them, then using fear is a great way to create the either or or mentality. And in that context, fear-based or stress-based binary thinking, the idea that personal responsibility and self-reliance is the antithesis or the opposite of community service, is a concept that I want to challenge directly. Because, well, you know, I'll put it to you this way. At at our sister website, FocusedPassion.com, as most of you, I'm sure, know, my business partner, Steve Snyder, and I have for over a year now been doing an audio program every week called Finding Yourself in Paradise. Finding your self, not finding yourself, finding your self in paradise, which self? We're suggesting there is a continuum or a spectrum, and that in the simplest sense, that spectrum has polarities, it has two ends. There's a lower self, an ego self, uh, but there's also a higher self. And when we come to understand who we are and the higher self comes into play, that's when you begin to recognize in a very, well, I should say, a very significant way, in a series of very important ways, that it is in your self-interest to help other people. It is in your self-interest to be of service to other people, and that's supposed to be a little confusing at first because we've all been taught that it's you or me, and if I'm going to be interested in myself, then I'm going to be a selfish person, and that'll have to happen at your expense. Right? One of the biggest blocks that people have, all kinds of people, to so the whole idea of personal and even spiritual development is that if they put themselves first, they'll become selfish people. And uh, there's a certain simple logic to that, but it is a simple logic and it's just not true. The more you know about yourself, the truth in fact is that the more you understand yourself and the more you know about yourself, the humbler you become the more charitable, the more harmonious that true self becomes. And this is core personal development, it's core mysticism, the idea that the separated self as it discovers and develops its awareness of self becomes more harmonious and eventually more unitive. Right? The more you know about who you are, the less of an ego you have. And even that takes a little bit of thinking to work your way through. I mean, you'll hear people say, you know, look at that guy over there in the bar room, walking with the swagger, with the chip on his shoulder, as if he's out to pick a fight and prove how tough he is. Boy, he must think he's really something. You know, he's so full of himself. He thinks he's all that. Right? well no those kinds of people have no idea who they are and that act is a front because not knowing who they are they're afraid they'll be seen in ways that they don't understand because the fear if you don't know yourself is that others might understand you better than you do and so you put on an act you put on a front Maybe you're a tough guy. Women have their version of it. It's a little different. It's not, you know, quite the same tough guy attitude that guys would have. But it's the same. It's like that Who song, the eminent front. You know, it's a put on. It's it's an act or a game that we play to conceal the self. So when we say about the ego freak, boy, they must think there's something. no, they think they're nothing they have no idea who they are it's all an act so the more in fact you do understand who you are the less you have to act the less fake you have to be the more you understand the truth of who you are the more real you can allow yourself to be and what that reality inevitably becomes is more harmonious more loving more charitable more caring, more philanthropic, more forgiving, more generous. And so the best way to build community and a sense of caring, what is community? Look at the word community. Come, meaning with, from the old Latin, with unity. Community means to do it with unity, to come together in unity, right? Right? That's what your community is. To get there, the path is harmony. There's a nice little trinity of diversity moving through harmony to get to unity. Harmony is the magic in the middle, right? That allows diversity to connect to unity. You can think of that as a little pyramid, a nice little trinity in form. But let's get real clear on the idea that even though I think we all have to go through periods of confusion around this idea that if I develop myself, if I am interested in self-help and self-improvement, I buy self-magazine. You know, we've been, we've been criticized, many of us, as members of the me generation all of our lives, as if that all we care about is the self. It is by caring about yourself, learning about the truth of who you are, that you begin to care about other people. And it has to happen in that order. By and large, caring for other people is not a way to develop the self. But to develop the self will lead you to a sense of, wait a minute, I am more than this separated being. I am the things that I care about. I am telling a joke and getting laughter. I am laughing at other people's jokes. I am at helping people to feel good uh, when maybe they're not feeling so well. Uh, and you come to understand that the truth of who you are is that you're a social being. And when some significant number of us understand this, we can undercut the fear and the hatred on the far right that is Dividing America, always dividing to conquer, divide and conquer is an old strategy. Beware of those who use fear and those who want to divide and conquer. And specifically, what we're talking about today, those people who would argue that if you're self-reliant, then that means you expect other people to be self-reliant and you're not going to help them, right? And if you're independent, then there can be no charity. There can be no philanthropy. There can be no caring about other people. Right? Let's get that straight in our minds. The more you know about who you are, the more you're going to care about other people. The more you know about who you are, the more you're going to like who you are. And in that sense, This identity then has to go from these concepts to I am not a target or I am not a victim. I am the one who initiates my life with an understanding of harmony and the self-interest in being of service to other people. Let's just dwell on that phrase for a moment before we move on. The self-interest in being of service to other people. That's that's a bit of a conundrum. How is it in my interest to care about other people? Well, if that makes sense to you, good. You're on the you're on the track. <laughs> if that if that remains confusing to you, then you got some work to do. If, if you're still in that either or, well, self-interest means I'm only interested in myself and I don't care about other people. Well, that would be the lower self the ego self, the separated self, the largely false self. But the true self, the higher self, immediately recognizes that there is capital S self-interest in caring about other people and being of service to other people. So Obama has said as much. And for most of your neighbors, this is a new concept. And anything that you can do in conversation to help promote this idea that self-reliance is a good thing, and independence is a good thing, and self-interest is a good thing. But it is not separate from, exclusive of, or the opposite of charity, philanthropy, and community service. That's all part of the same thing. It is in my self-interest to be of service to other people. Now, all of this is by way of creating a ground upon which we can build this concept of the 180 degree reversal. That is our theme for the day today. Life is what you make it. Uh, Again, most people, because of this mindset of being the separated self, believe that life is what's done to me. And they might say life is what you make it in a given situation. They might throw that out as an old saw, an axiom, or a saying, but very few people actually live that way. And so the challenge to each of us today is, do you see life as something that you are creating and contributing to a life of service, and, and charity, and philanthropy, or are you a selfish, indeed a selfish person, and believe that self-interest is the way to be happy, and then fall into this whole right-wing trap of self-interest being the great noble pursuit. You get your money, you get your stuff, to hell with everybody else, right? Right? There's no evidence that that's really, truly fulfilling. If we look at the the lead-up to the economic collapse that we're in the midst of, uh, you'll see that it's been led by extremely rich and powerful people wanting more. It's as if... uh I don't even a hero I don't even I don't think even a heroin addict believes that he or she could get enough heroin to be done. I don't know why people who pursue extraordinary money and wealth and property think that their addiction is going to be resolved if only they have a little more stuff. It is a rat race. And so if you look at the people who've and Wall Street, who have led this, and their enablers in government, both Democrat and Republican, these are exceedingly wealthy people, who are just not happy, in spite of their great wealth and fortune, and the power that comes with that wealth. I think if they gave it away, they would find the happiness they're looking for, but they don't. They want to get more and acquire and accumulate more and more. Cheney, Rumsfeld, Bush are all worth tens of millions. In Bush's case, he's worth tens of millions. Rumsfeld and Cheney are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and yet, Instead of being home playing with the grandkids, they're out destroying the world looking for more money. Killing people, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. By some accounts, this invasion of Iraq has killed nearly one million people. By conservative estimates, 100,000 Iraqis were killed for what? To capture Saddam Hussein? I don't think anybody believes that anymore, but that's still the primary right-wing talking point. How many people have to die? For what? For more money, for the oil that is in the Middle East, for the balance of power, for the incredible money that is generated by war. The right-wing went crazy again last week, just this past week, because They claimed that that Obama was cutting the defense budget. Actually, he increased the defense budget. But what he cut was the percentage that goes to weapons so that he could increase the amount of money that goes to supporting the troops, the men and women that do the fighting. Well, why did the right wing go crazy about that? Because they don't really support the troops. They're about perpetual war and global war and the money that can be made. Daddy Warbucks, right? I'm dating myself here. Daddy Warbucks. Remember, it was Eisenhower, the great NATO commander in World War II who became the president who warned us of the military-industrial complex. This is all part of self-interest and believing that self-interest is the antithesis or the opposite of caring for other people. And these are people, by and large, who have a very limited view of of life as being something that's either done to you or something that you make out of it. All right? And if we're going to talk about life being what you make it, then it can't simply be Life is what you make it. Life is what I initiate for me to separate itself. It's got to be life is what you make it, our theme for, the, for today. Life is what you make it, not only for the separated self, but more importantly for the self-interest in community service. Okay? I, I hope I'm being clear on this idea. Two separate points, but I want to bring it together. It is in your self-interest to be of service to other people. And that's why it's so important that we get straight the idea that life doesn't really only come at you. It's a two-way street. Life is done to you and then there's what you do with it. The problem for most people is that what they do with what's done to them is a reaction, not a response. It's a knee-jerk reaction. So... As long as you react to what's being done to you, you are a reactor rather than the actor, right? So you're you're dancing to somebody else's song. You might even say, well, they made me do it, you know? There's that story I tell once in a while about the fellow that called me on the radio years ago when I was doing radio talk shows, and they said... Michael, I need your help with something. And I said, yeah, well, What? what is that? And he said, uh, you got to help me because um, people make me get into fights. I said, they make you fight them? Yeah, people make me get into fights. He was the ultimate victim. He didn't know how to take responsibility or ownership for his life. And he saw himself as this separated person that, if somebody challenged him or disagreed with him, uh, they could get him to fight, and he claimed he didn't really want to do that, but he just had no choice he had to he had to duke it out with him. People make me get into fights, and so for me to talk to him about taking responsibility, the ability to choose the response all right was in those days very difficult and I still find it challenging all these years later. A lot of people, their eyes just roll back there and they, they don't get it. You know, I really like breaking what I just said, breaking that word responsibility down into response ability. Your responsibility is your ability to choose a response and not just simply react. Because the people can get you to react, uh, that makes you a pretty predictable character, and you're pretty easy to manage, right? Um, People can get you going, make you get into fights, make you say stupid things, do stupid things, uh, miss opportunities, uh, take actions or or speak in a way that is going to be regrettable to you uh, later on. The whole idea of being responsible and self-reliant is to initiate an even-tempered, well-reasoned response in place of the knee-jerk reaction, you know. Uh, How do you get past that uh, five-year-old, yes, you are, no, I'm not, yeah, you are, no, I'm not, I'm not, you are, oh, no, I mean, how do you... (laughs) How do you get past that? You have to breathe and relax and choose to initiate an even-tempered, well-reasoned response in place of the knee-jerk reaction. That turns your whole life around. Now, instead of feeling like a target, as if there's a bullseye painted on your back and one on your belly, too, and everything in your life is being done to you, Now some significant percentage of it can be initiated by you. It's like the example I use of the matador that doesn't just stand there. I mean, the matador does not take the bull by the horns. He doesn't manage the bull, right, directly in a hands-on way. And he doesn't take the direct hit, doesn't just stand there and let the bull run into him. He confuses and distracts the bull with the red cape and stands off to the side as the bull goes by. Olay. Horribly cruel sport, but it's a good example of what I'm talking about. You can step aside. You don't have to take these direct hits. And that's just the first step, to step aside. Or to another example I like is to let go of the tug-of-war rope. You know, let let them win the tug of war. You don't like people pulling on your chain or pulling your leg or <laughs> you know the back and forth of the tug of war. Well, stop pulling on the rope. It takes two. In fact, give them the rope and say you win. I'll I'll even give you the rope. You win. I'm tired of this. I want to go do something more productive and constructive. You win the stupid tug of war. Right? because you're a person that is developing your awareness of who you are and what you're capable of doing and and you understand that understanding itself is far superior to being right ah the power in that alone let, let people be right if they have some strong need to be right fine let them be right while you work on the more dynamic and much more fulfilling value that is understanding. The problem with being right is you shut down on understanding. If you're right, always right, have to be right, understanding is at a standstill. There's nothing else to understand because you're right, you see. So you have to put that down as inferior and say I'm much more interested in understanding new stuff and always developing and unfolding my awareness of things. That to me is far more important than being right. And this too is part of turning your life around and going from a victim or a target of life, an effect of life, as if life is done to you, And then only reacting, knee-jerk, in a reflexive way to being the conscious awareness that says, hold on a minute. Let me take a breath here and relax. And maybe substitute an even-tempered, well-reasoned response. From all these choices that I have available to me, to pick and choose the one option, variation, permutation, or combination that is the best response and initiate that response rather than just react to other people's game. Look, uh, life is a two-way street and so stuff happens and you know like the bumper stickers stuff happens it hits the fan things happen to you all the time each of us have negativity in our lives adversity problems circumstances we would much rather avoid drop into our lives against our will or we're caught off guard there's no question about that. And you cannot get enough money or enough power to prevent that from happening. You cannot control enough people. You haven't got enough fingers to plug all the holes in the dike. You can't hold that back. At some point, the dike will burst and... Life is going to happen all over you. (laughs) You're going to get wet. You're going to, it's going to hit the fan. You're going to get covered with it, right? But you don't have to react knee jerk the way 90 or 95% of humanity does. You can learn to be an exceptional individual. Pause. That's all it takes is to stop. We talked about this last week when our parents took us to the curb of the street. You're about two or three years old, and they teach us to stop, look, and listen before you run into the street. And here we are adults, and we still run out into the street without thinking all the time and say things and do things that soon after we regret or resent. What if you just didn't do anything at all? I remember a few years ago a friend of mine I've told this story before but it's been a long, long time since I told the story. A friend of mine had a birthday party and invited uh I don't know, eight or ten or twelve of, of us and our spouses to join him at this lodge for this birthday party. And uh so we got there in the early afternoon, it was an overnight deal, and uh, we checked into the hotel, and uh, the room wasn't ready, so my wife and I said, well, that's okay, we'll just go for a walk, and when do you think it'll be ready, maybe 45 minutes or so, well, that's good, well, it was a nice area, it had a little lake, back bay, and we went for a little walk, and and I came back about 45 minutes later, and the room was ready, and, and uh, so we were told, and we checked in and went up to the room, and I wanted to get a shower before we went to the uh, to the uh, birthday party that night. Well, there were no towels. So I called down to the desk, and I wasn't angry. I wasn't upset. I, I in a very professional and business-like way, I thought, I said, uh, You know, this is the better party in room such and such, and uh, we we, uh, waited an hour for the room to be ready. And now there's no towels. Could you send somebody up with towels? And the person I talked to said, "No, I couldn't believe it." She said, "We're too busy. We're doing a a wine tasting and a birthday party." And I said, "Well, you know, I'm I'm here for that wine tasting and, and that birthday party that follows." And I'd like to come, but I need some towels. Can't you just send some towels up? And I heard click in the dial tone. And I thought, oh my God. And I couldn't believe it. And I got so angry. And uh, Doreen did too. She, we both got really upset. So I thought, well, I'm going to go down there and give them a piece of my mind and tell them what for and raise a ruckus and all kinds of holy hell, right? But something said, just chill, Michael, just take a breath and relax. You have more choices than that immediate reaction. There's a second thing you could do, and maybe even a third option, if you would just slow down a bit and take a breath. And if you're not sure which of these two or three or maybe even four choices that you might have, if you're not sure right now, well, rather than do something rash that you'll later regret or resent, why don't you just not do anything until you can get a little more clarity? So I'm sharing this out loud with my wife and she agrees that's a pretty good idea. Let's just, you know, time is on our side. And uh by the way, three or four minutes later the doorbell rang and there was somebody with towels. So that was cool. And then I thought, Well, when we go down for the birthday party I'll 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 be cool by then and I'll say something then and, and uh, I never did. And then after dinner, I said, "Well, I'm going to go in after dinner, and I'll, I'll give them a little piece of my mind. I'm much cooler now, but I'll go in and I'll say something." And and I put it off, and I never did. And then the next day, well, before we check out, I'm going to let them know. And by that time, it was, it just didn't matter. So it wasn't so much that I had these other choices. It was I knew I had other choices. I knew that I could initiate a behavior. I didn't have to just react reflexively or in a knee-jerk fashion. But even in a case like this where I wasn't sure what to do, I knew enough not to do anything until I could get more clear about my choices. And I want to share that with you also. Often... When you get angry or hurt or upset and you just want to react knee-jerk, right? There's a reason people are called jerks who act that way. You know, a knee-jerk reaction makes you a jerk. You're not thinking. And even if you don't know what to do, just don't do anything until you do. And if you don't know what to say, instead of reacting like a jerk, just don't say anything. Ah, So you can take some breaths, slow down, and substitute even-tempered, well-reasoned responses for knee-jerk reactions. Then you plant the seed. Then you initiate the behavior. You're not dancing to somebody else's song, then. You start a new song, a new tune, right? A new theme a new approach so that people play your game on your home field according to your rules, which, of course, given the kind of person you are, are going to be much more uh, harmonious and charitable and uh, inclusive. Uh, And that way, in this way, we can practice a kind of kindness and uh, and generosity that brings great reward and and great peace of mind so I'm not saying that we can switch from one end to the other that we go from being a victim or a target to being the one who totally initiates life is a two-way street and you are a target and things will surprise you, blindside you catch you off guard But whether you create a situation unconsciously or comically, or whether you contribute to the creation of a situation unconsciously or whether you're completely blindsided by it whether you caused it or co-created it or are a total victim of it if there is such a thing. You're always responsible. You know The Esther Hicks-Abraham information talks about responsibility for all things. And I think it's technically true, but a lot of beginners will try to take responsibility for having created the situation they're in. And that's not a place to begin. That's like advanced studies. The place to begin is taking responsibility what you do with the situation you find yourself in and if later on you want to reflect upon well how did I come to be in that situation in the first place fine, that's up to you I'm just saying whether you did create it or unconsciously contributed to it or maybe you really were blindsided by it you always have an ability if you breathe and relax to take ownership of the situation and choose the response responsibility every time you think of responsibility you think of the ability to choose the response you're, you're taking the word apart and putting choice in between ability and response responsibility the ability to choose that's where developing consciousness begins with choice I am the one who chooses I'd like you to give that some consideration. I think you find great power in that. All right. Um, just checking the numbers here. I'm surprised we're doing, uh, we have a, pretty much as good a turnout as we have when it's not a holiday. So happy Easter and thanks for being with us. I'd like to uh, follow up with any questions you might have about this idea of turning your life around, being proactive and in initiating your life substituting even-tempered, well-reasoned responses for those knee-jerk reactions, and also the initial concept of self-reliance and self-interest not being the opposite of charity and philanthropy and community service, but that there is a self-interest in being of service, right, to harmonize this whole milieu. Um, If you have any particular question about that or comment that you would like to make, that you'd like to make, and you are listening live now with us on April twelfth Easter Sunday of two thousand and nine, and you're on the web, you can use that submission box on the page right in front of you. just type in your question, your comment, but the city where you're located today and your name, at least your first name, hit the submit button you got to hit the submit button to get it to go through and uh We'll go to those now for a little while, and then uh, we'll do a visualization and see if we can install this process. Okay. So let's go to the. uh, I want to say go to the phones. Let's go and see what uh, what people have to say here. Uh, I'm not sure I understand who this is from. Looks like a fellow named John. He says. Uh, He has an anonymous quote for us, that the race is not to the swiftest, uh, nor the fight to the strongest, but time and chance play a part in all. He says that has helped him to accept uncertainty and adversity. But what can you tell me, John says, about chance and synchronicity? Uh, let's see if I can sort this out. Then he has a couple other questions. Why don't you ever call? <laughs> I don't know what that means. And why is your cell phone area code in California? Um, if you if you pretend, Molly, John, you're putting me on. Um, my uh, telephone number, uh, my my service is eight one eight five six nine thirty seventeen, and the contribute. Uh, the contributor support line for our sister site, focusedpassion.com, is also in the 818. That's 973-3154. Uh, 818-973-3154 for the focusedpassion.com site and uh, also the 818 number 569-3017 for the Ageless Wisdom Well, John, they're in uh, Southern California because nobody seems to care much anymore where your area code is. Um, My cell phone is an 818, and I haven't lived there in a year and a half. And my service numbers are there because it's cheaper, it's more affordable, it's already established. The numbers are publicized. I didn't see any advantage. I do have a home phone that's 808, but... I don't think you really want that number. I'm not sure why you care about that, uh, but there you go. Uh, lots of people you can't you can't use area codes anymore to figure out where people are because they have a cell phone. They got in one place and moved to another place. And the what's the what's the term they use? Transportability. I think that's what the. Phrases in the telephone industry the numbers are transportable it just doesn't matter anymore they're not really area codes they're just prefixes but that's the answer to that as far as the the race is not to the swiftest nor the fight to the strongest uh, I'm glad that has helped you I'm not sure how to correlate that to what we're talking about today I'm not sure I see the connection uh, I do believe it's true, though. I, uh, I remember discussing on a couple of occasions on my radio talk show, Survival of the Fittest, as a concept put forward by um, Darwin, or people trying to interpret Darwin's principle of natural selection. And what does it mean, Survival of the Fittest? It, it doesn't mean the strongest or the meanest or the nastiest. And it certainly doesn't mean the most selfish or self-centered. Um, we'd still have dinosaurs if that were true. right? The meanest and nastiest is not necessarily the one that's going to be the fittest and the most able to adapt. That's usually the generalist. Uh, If a species of animal or a human being in their daily life and affairs is unyielding and rigid, if they're not flexible, if their knowledge is too specific and not general enough, then they're in a very good position to die off or to become extinct. And this is increasingly true as we move into the 21st century, the third millennium here. Um... I read a survey the other day that uh, the average person coming out of college is going to have 14 different jobs in the first two years of their work experience and that that number is increasing pretty rapidly. So we have to be the a generalist uh, to really survive. We have to be uh, a jack of all trades if if not a, a master of, uh, of any. Certainly have a lot of Information in a lot of areas. I think uh, fittest also means not only flexible, but loving, and uh, a good sense of humor, uh, charitable uh, a person. I think when we talk about survival of the fittest, there's there's more for us there than the idea of the meanest or the nastiest or or what this quote talks about. The race is not to the swiftest, nor the fight to the strongest. I think that's true. Let's see, who else do we have? In in Los Angeles, Jessica is with us, and she says, the most amazing awake experience was swimming with whales by Tetri, I can't pronounce this, Tetiaroa Atoll f p not sure what that is, but she's talking about um, my comments earlier about something with the dolphin yesterday, and she says a babe suckling her mother's breast, indescribable feeling of initiation to life. yeah, the whales too the whales and the dolphins are I don't know, it's hard to find words. there's people that are so much better at me been talking about this experience, I guess because it's still so new to me, but we've gone whale watching two or three times since first coming here to Maui, but yesterday was the first time I actually dropped into the water and was surrounded by these dolphins. It was just, it's so electrical too, because they're all pinging you, they're all hitting you with sonar, ping, 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 it's remarkable. Well, Jessica, I'm glad you had that experience. I'm not sure where that is, though. Tetiaro. I don't know why I'm a, having a block on saying this. Tetiaroa, Tetiaroa Atoll. French Polynesia. Maybe that's what FP is. But uh, wherever you were, I'm glad you had a good time with the whales and the dolphins. That's too cool. Carol's with us in La Habra, and she says uh, hello to Michael and Doreen. Happy Easter to you, Carol. Thanks for being with us. In Fullerton, Mona says, uh, hello, Michael. Happy Easter. Uh, regarding what she said, the more you know who you are, the more you like others. My question is, when does saying no come into those who are manipulative and demand that you cater to their wants? I mean, your family and friends who expect you to constantly do things for them. I say no at times, but then I feel guilty, although I know they're not demanding. Uh, That's a great one, and a question that is not uncommon that comes up in counseling quite often. Um, I think, depending on the situation, a relative (laughs) amount of candor would help, if you could say to somebody who is manipulative or demanding, I'd really love to be able to do that for you, or I'd like to be able to help you with that, all right? but I'm not able. I can't do that for you. And then tell them why. right? Risk being a little more candid. In, I wish I could do that for you, but I'm just not able to do that for you. And maybe find something else that you could help them with instead. You know, like with a little child, you find the little child is playing with uh, a breakable, expensive object. You know, the, the the three-year-old has the big vase, and you go, oh, no, my God, and you go running over there and take it away from the child. And the child's going to cry and think it did something wrong, and a good idea in parenting is just to take away the valuable vase so the kid doesn't break it, but then give him something or give her something else in its place. And maybe you could do that same thing with people that you find, Mona, to be demanding of you or, or worse, um, consciously manipulative. Give them something else. Say, well, you know, I can't really do that for him. But, in fact, I'll tell you why. Uh, maybe it's a matter of time or circumstance or my agenda is just too busy right now, but i tell you what I could do. You know what I might be able to do for you? And then just to give a little something back. Even if it's not equal in terms of effort, it's symbolic, and, and that's what matters. If you, if you gave something back, if they just know that you care, um, that might help. At the same time, I've got to say, and I think we all know this, There are unpleasable people in the world, and it's likely that you have some in your life. Uh, These are people who will never be pleased, and they take advantage of our generosity and our kindness and our codependence by simply not being pleased. No matter what you do, in an attempt to please them, it's never quite enough. Or it could be enough, thank you very much, but only for a short period before you have to do something else for them to prove that you love them or whatever. And it becomes a a trap, right? To tell yourself this is an unpleasable person rather than to take the heat or blame yourself, Like There must be something wrong with me. This is what most of us do in this kind of situation. There must be something wrong with me. Because no matter how much I do, it's not enough. I guess I really am inadequate. No, you're not inadequate. It's likely that what you're doing is enough, but that this person is just unpleasable. Right? Put it back on them. Notice how, for most of us, because we don't know ourselves as well as we could or should, it's easier to assume the defect is ours rather than the other person. I, I you know, I, I guess my best just isn't good enough. And then we start wondering, well, why isn't my best good enough for this person and that person and this person over here? Well maybe your best is good enough <laughs> for somebody that's pleasable but not good enough for somebody that'll never be pleased, right? So, suffice to say, Mona, that what you're talking about is assertiveness, and to be assertive requires a degree of self-confidence that comes from really knowing that you are a good and kind and generous person and that you'd love to help this person who might be one of these unpleasable people? So no matter how much you do, they're never going to be pleased. So do what you can, and then let it go, right? Or say, "I'm not. No, I can't. Gee, I won't be able to do that for you. I won't be able to come over on that day. Or, no, I can't stop by and run this errand for you. I wish I could, but I can't. But you know what I could do for you, and then offer them a little something." I think that between that and accepting that some of these people just might be chronically unpleasable <laughs> is about the best you're gonna be able to do for yourself. Uh let's see. I refreshed and we got a bunch of new people here. There one came through without a name. I was watching Rush Limbo Rush Limbaugh and uh thought how he rushes into limbo. I don't think I'm going to go with this. So This is not... Uh, what, well, maybe it is serious. Let me go a little further. What a difference it makes when you listen to someone like you and someone like him. Thank you for making me realize this. Oh, I see what... So oh, it is a nice thing to say. Okay. Uh, well, thank you. I didn't get a name, but thank you. Um, I wasn't sure if that was serious or not, but... I could comment on my opinions of Rush Limbaugh, but I think I'll save that for some other time. I, I, My feelings about this guy go back 20, 25 years, and they're pretty complex, and I don't like to... I, I, don't, I don't really want to talk about Rush. He's very successful at what he does. I'm not sure how he sleeps, how he deals with his conscience, but he certainly is successful in what he does. In Honolulu, Bert's with us again today. Hello, Bert, and happy Easter. He says, greetings from Oahu. Best wishes to you, and Doreen. Keep up the good work, and aloha. Thanks, Bert. And in uh, Irvine, California, Robert Fiegel. Aloha, Michael. The Mystery School is the best course I've ever taken, and I've been to both USC and UCSD, I find after a situation turns out different than I expect, that I am full of regret. How do you avoid regret? Have a great week. It's a wonderful question. I don't know that avoiding regret is the goal, Robert. Um, I think you may need to face feelings that you're calling regret as a way of reviewing and renewing and understanding the situation that just came down think of it as an opportunity for review just like any learning lesson in school you studied for the midterm, you studied for the for the quiz and then the midterm and now you're going to study again for the final exam um, to review what you've been through is not necessarily the same thing I mean regret suggests that you're holding on that you're wishing you had done things differently I think if you think of it as a review or a study then you can go over the same material in your mind without the holding on and without wishing that you had done it differently instead substituting well if I understand it now, then the next time I can do it differently, and that's a learning lesson, and yahoo, far out, that's cool, I'm glad I learned that, boy, I'll never make that mistake again. Uh, you take a breath and you let it go, and, and it's not regret. See, so if it feels like regret and it feels like holding on and you're just beating yourself up over how could I have been so unconscious. Why did I say that? I can't believe I did that. Learn from it. Reflect on it. Take it into a meditation or a contemplation. Study it. Review it. See what you can learn from it. And then just wax philosophical. Say, well, the the price I paid, if it was money or whatever the loss, uh, is what it costs to learn this lesson. And I'll make sure I never... Make that mistake again. I'll see this situation coming. I'll remember what I'm learning here today and apply it. See if that doesn't help. Okay. In Tucson, Lorelai is with us as usual. and Happy Easter, Lorelai. She says, Aloha. Happy Easter to you and Doreen. She says, Here's to new beginnings and to peace and love. Thank you, Lorelai. Uh, another message from Burt McAuliffe, he says, things work out best for those who make the best of the way things work out, John Wooden. That's one of the Steve's favorite quotes. He, he says that a lot and attributes it also to John Wooden. Things work out best for those who make the best of the way things turn out. That's true. Life is what you make it. That's our theme for the day today. The pity party that most people use to try to get some benefit out of a regrettable situation is never fulfilling or rewarding, and yet that's all most people have to sit around and, and this is this this is what passes for conversation. Tragically, much of the time, people complaining about how miserable they are, and then they pause to take a breath, and somebody else jumps in to see if they can top that. Oh yeah, well. I'm more miserable than you are. Let me tell you about who took advantage of me and what a victim I am and how helpless I was as a target or an effect or a victim of this situation. I can top that. Then the third person jumps in and says, That's nothing. When it comes to appeals for sympathy, I can beat all of you guys. I'm much more miserable than any of you. <laughs> And it really is the exceptional individual that says, wait a minute, I remember when something horrible happened to me and I turned it into a learning lesson and made, you know, lemonade out of lemons, that kind of thing. So good for it. And uh, good for John Wooden. In Los Angeles, Patricia Vega is with us. Hello, Patricia. She says, "Hi, Michael. Good show. I'm sure that there are a lot of us that need to be reminded now and then that that we do have many choices in how we can respond to any situation. Responsibility, the ability to choose the response." And uh, my ham radio friend Robert K W six B in Irvine says, "Even existentialist Jean Paul Sartre." About choice, I am my choices. I cannot choose. If I do not choose, that is still a choice. Yeah, I think there's a Rush song that says something like that. Even if you do not choose, you still have made a choice. Yeah, I think uh, 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 Camus um, said something uh, as well. Camus said, "I am my life is the sum of the choices I make," or some such thing. Yeah, Uh, I think that's core existential philosophy personal responsibility it's it's sort of an agnostic or even an atheist idea of personal responsibility it's like you're alone the existentialist often says you're alone in the universe so of course you're responsible there is a spiritual version of that which is that nobody's alone except by appearance and yet you're still responsible uh, Jessica says hello. She says, um, "Oh, she can help me pronounce this. Titiaroa, Titiaroa, an atoll in French Polynesia, Marlon Brando's island." Oh, okay. Yeah, Titiaroa. Good. Well, wherever you swam with the dolphins and the whales, I'm sure it was wonderful. And, you know, you think of uh, what's happening in the ocean with pollution and the uh, the sonar that the Navy is using that just Bush approved again, waiving environmental impact reports, and the uh, the beaching of the whales and the dolphins. It's, it's just, I mean, in many ways it's no more or less tragic than Sarah Palin shooting wolves out of a helicopter or clubbing baby seals for the vanity of people that like to wear dead baby seals as jackets and coats I mean it's just that the dolphins and the whales are so exceedingly intelligent so remarkably intelligent you know human beings have only been on this earth for 3 million years it seems the best estimates are 3 million years ago some say maybe 4 million the whales have been here for over 50 million years and they're uh Their brains are much bigger than ours. You know, an average human being rolled up into a fetal position would fit inside a whale's heart the size of a school bus. That's a big heart. That's a big brain. And before all, the ships at sea, they could communicate over thousands of miles with each other. And... uh, just a remarkable thing to be out here in the middle of the ocean and have access to those. It was really a lot of fun. Well let's do a little visualization exercise on life is what you make it, on turning your life around and taking responsibility and also seeing self interest as including community service and, and charity and philanthropy rather than being the opposite self reliance to doesn't mean to the exclusion of all others these are not complicated uh ideas but they're rare to hear anybody talk about them so a little material for conversation for you here nothing else i hope you do take this to your friends and tell them about the program here it's free every sunday forward the newsletter forward links to this website and uh Again, it's it's absolutely free. That's the best that we can do. We have seven programs at Focused Passion also that are free, including the Family Learning Hour, Accelerated Learning Programs, absolutely free at uh, our sister site FocusedPassion.com. Hope you'll check those out too. And both sites, theAgelessWisdom.com and FocusedPassion.com, have this cool little gadget built in. That allow you to forward these programs to your friends, and we never charge for that. So, hope you get on board and like like we like to say, share what you care about. Get the programs that uh, you think people most need to hear to the people that need to hear them, free of charge. So, get comfortable, pump up the pillows here. Get. Get seated on your cushion or your chair, your sofa, your, the floor, wherever you want to be. Get nice and comfortable and balance your head on your neck and shoulders. Put your shoulders back and open up your chest. And take a nice, slow, deep breath. And do that two or three times, pulling in strength and power as you Inhale. Hold as you peak and as you exhale, slowly, slowly, feel the letting go in your body. Muscles relaxing and unwinding create and sense a letting go feeling. Feeling very safe as you become more and more relaxed. And allowing your breathing to find its own natural rhythm. Allow yourself to breathe well. Let your body do it for you on autopilot. And you can even become the one who watches yourself breathe if you gently put your attention on the bottom of your nose. Feel your emotional nature begin to calm, and your mental nature begin to quiet, feeling safer and more relaxed. Allow my voice to guide you as you imagine yourself in a beautiful natural scene, a garden, a paradise, an Eden. Eden a place of perfect peace and the feeling that you're making it all up is exactly right imagine that you're dreaming it all up trees and grasses and flowers in addition to allowing my voice to go with you imagine hearing the sounds of birds singing and the wind in the tops of the trees Imagine feeling the gentle warmth of the sun and the coolness of the shady spots. Imagine that you can even smell the fragrances of nature as if perfumed just for you. as you wander through the shady forested places and the sunny warm meadows in this beautiful, beautiful place of perfect peace and find a place to sit maybe a shady spot Maybe in the full sunlight. But make the temperature perfect and the breezes just right. And the feeling in your body so sweet and so wonderful. As you come to this place of ideal relaxation and perfect peace. as you sit upon the earth or a tree stump or a log or a rock imagine that you're plugged in to the earth or the tree stump or the rock imagine that you could feel yourself sitting on the ground of the one life here and that you could easily imagine how a flower or a blade of grass or a tree or a bush feels to be rooted into the earth and as you experience all of your imaginary senses open think about what comes to you as the stimulus in life and so In this beautiful place of peace, you are stimulated by what you see all around you in this beautiful place. By the sounds of birds singing, the wind, and the trees that you can easily imagine. The feeling you're making it up is exactly right. But it's stimulus. It's coming to you. It's being done to you. And the fragrances that we discussed. Imagine again that you can smell these delicious fragrances in nature. That's a stimulus that comes to you. That you could lay back and watch a hawk or an eagle circling slowly in the sky circling above you, effortlessly floating on the gentle, warm upcurrents and updrafts. And although you could not touch the hawk, for it's way beyond your reach, your eyes are stimulated and your mind is stimulated, and maybe an emotional part of you is stimulated in a gentle but significant way by whatever that hawk represents floating effortlessly on the warm currents of air. maybe you hear the sound of a little bee as it flies by you or you watch a butterfly float from this flower to that all of this input all of this sensory stimulus is coming at you and being done to you and then there is the response what you do with it whether you sit there and enjoy it or whether you decide that it's becoming too cool in the shade and you move to the sun or too hot in the sun so you move to a shady spot. These are the responses to what's being done to you. And if the sky begins to darken and it looks like a heavy rainstorm is rolling in, your response may be to get up and move to shelter to a cabin or a house nearby where you can find shelter from the storm. The point of today's lesson is simply for you to exist at a third point that stands between the stimulus and the response. Between what's done to you and what you do with it as an unconscious, knee-jerk reaction or reflex, or as an even-tempered, well-reasoned choice. Put your attention on the center between stimulus and response. The middle part between what's being done to you and what you do with it. Between cause and effect, between stimulus and response, you sit as awareness, you sit as consciousness, you sit as choice. repeat, as Robert suggested just a few minutes ago, that existential quote, my life is the sum of the choices I make. Say that to yourself silently and internally. My life is the sum of the choices I make. And see if that doesn't flush up and bring out of you, or flush out, (laughs) all those times that you are not the choices. But that we find some pathetic advantage in being the helpless victim and appealing to friends and family to feel sorry for us. Or to have sympathy. Because after all, there was nothing we could do. Or maybe we did react, but it was knee-jerk. It was a reflex. And we now have regrets and resents. Instead, be the choice in the middle. That's the fulcrum. That's the, the whole power is focused right there in the center and it's not always the 50-yard line middle it is on a teeter-totter but when you use a stick as a lever it might you have to tune the fulcrum you have to move it a little forward and back to find the best point to get the power out of the either-or Well, the either-or and this teeter-totter and this stick is cause and effect those are the two ends Stimulus and response, those are the two ends. You sit in the middle as choice, as awareness. The I am of who you are is not what's done to you or even so much what happens afterwards. It's not only the cause, it's not merely the effect, not simply stimulus-response, action-reaction. What's done to you and what you do with it. There's a middle. Choice, awareness, consciousness. That's the higher self. I am that I am. I am choice. I am the awareness to choose. I am the third way, the fourth option, and the fifth possibility. And tell yourself, that will be easy to remember as you prepare now to come back into the room in which you sit. Remember the room in which you sit. And tell yourself in a moment, you're going to open your eyes wide awake and alert, feeling really great, rested, with this clarity that you're not simply what's done to you and you're not simply your behavior the point of focus is the middle between cause and effect between stimulus and response between action and reaction the middle point the fulcrum the I am choice I am awareness that I have choices I am that I am, the consciousness aspect, awake, aware, and alert, take a slow, deep breath, hold for a moment, and as you exhale now, open your eyes, wide awake, alert, rested, refreshed, feeling really good, and remembering, you have choices, and that's how you turn your life around, life is what you make it, okay? On that point of choice. Hey, thanks for being with us on Easter Sunday. I hope it's a great family day for you and you have a great feast and a great meal and uh, great conversation. And that you join us every Sunday at uh, 1 o'clock West Coast time, 4 o'clock in the East, 20 hours GMT for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. (laughs) Excuse me. Remember also, use the Send One to a Friend gadget to forward these programs free of charge to people you know who would really enjoy them and also on our sister site focusedpassion.com you've got the family learning hour you've got two full programs you can listen to whole bunch of seven